You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Okay, like I said, we're looking at Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? I'm just going to summarize, kind of synthesize what he's written. But preliminarily, everything in the church, and in Christian life for that matter, is affected by our understanding of the gospel. Almost everything that goes wrong, again, whether it's in the church or in our Christian lives, is related to a misunderstanding of the gospel. Now, there are many things that we do in church that are important, but the center, the core, the hub of church life is the gospel. Almost everything that goes right in the church is related to a right understanding of the gospel, the good news. And so the strength and vitality of any church is rooted in our appreciation for the gospel, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to review what it is. And again, we've done this several times. If somebody asks you, what is the gospel, what would your answer be? And it would not be how I feel or how I believe or what I've experienced or anything of that sort, although those things are important. They have their place. But that's not the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ has been sent to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's an objective reality. It's a historical fact of the person and work of Christ. That's the gospel. And so the Bible teaches us a thoroughly God-centered and biblically-based evangelism. If we're going to communicate the gospel to others, God is at the center. Again, we looked at his sovereignty, his mercy, sparing us from what we deserve, his grace, blessing us with what we don't deserve. And it's biblically based, which is one of the reasons why we need to know our Bibles. This is the gospel. It's what the Bible reveals. It's the whole point of Scripture, the gospel. It is an evangelism that is based upon and drawn from the inspired written text of the Scriptures. So the more we know our Bibles, the better communicators and witnesses we will be. Very important. And there's nothing wrong if you are witnessing to somebody to open your Bible and just read the text. God says that he'll bless his word. It's not wrong to be able to do that. True evangelism done properly is not a man-made expedient, but has its roots in God's divine nature. So again, he commanded us and he has promised to bless the witness of his people. However inadequate you or I may feel, as long as we're communicating biblically-based truth about Christ, he will use it. Such evangelism is from God, it is through God, and it is to God. To him be the glory forever and ever. That's what Paul says in Romans 11. It flows out of the fountain of God's eternal divine love. Ultimately, that's the that's a source, is God's love. That he would send his eternal son to become a man and to take our place in suffering the punishment that we deserve. That flows out of his love. I have loved you, he says, with an everlasting love. 
So someone asks, well, when did God start loving you? And the answer is never. He never started. He always has. And that doesn't change. It's unwavering. And our love is so fickle, right? We identify love as our feelings, which are up or down or absent or present. And God's love is everlasting. It never wavers. For a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. So here again is the fountain, the source of the gospel itself. His love does not depend on its object. It doesn't depend on your charm, your beauty, your merit, anything you do or are. His love is independent and it's within himself. The only reason he loves you is because of who he is. And for reasons known only to him, he chose you, a wretch, just like he chose me, a wretch. Why on earth he would love us, I don't know. But it's because of who he is, has nothing to do with you. And so we just rejoice. We're humbled because we're no better than anybody else. Again, there's no reason why he would choose us. But he's going to have a church. He's going to give his son a bride. And he's going to prepare that bride and make her holy and blameless in his presence. And that's the whole point. So his love has no beginning and no end and no wavering or fluctuation. His love is invincible in its endeavor to save souls. He will prevail. He will have a bride. Finite creatures like you and I cannot comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, or the depth of his love. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. All we can do is like swim in the ocean without boundaries. Any questions on this preliminary? What is the gospel? Okay? Good. So if we're going to be witnesses for the gospel, if we're going to communicate that to others, we got to know, we have to know, what is the gospel? First of all, as Gilbert tells us, the covenant of redemption was an inter-Trinitarian commitment between the three persons of the Trinity. It was an inter-Trinitarian. They agreed by common consent to save and elect people. We find evidence for this covenant of redemption, which was before the foundation of the world. Okay, this is an eternity. They've agreed. Okay, go ahead. Got it? We got two? Great. Okay. So we find evidence for it in the language of Christ being sent on a mission. So this idea that they've agreed to something before. Whoever receives me, he says, receives not me, but him who sent me. There is a purpose. There was an agreement between the Father and the Son that he would come on a mission to die for his bride. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There was a purpose or a plan um, formed earlier. And we know that that purpose was published in Genesis 3.15, the first time in history. But because it was published, we know that the plan was formed before that. And it's been mentioned about before the foundation of the world. 
There is also evidence of this covenant of redemption in eternity in the stipulations, the requirements established between the Father and the Son. Okay, so what's the agreement? There is this inter-Trinitarian covenant. There's this commitment that they've made. Well, what is it? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, speaking of Christ, of course, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Now, there you have the substitutionary death and atonement of Christ. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, not his own, but yours and mine, he shall see his offspring, his people, his children, his elect for whom he died. So there you see the son has made an agreement that he would make an offering for guilt, the guilt of his people. Talking about Christ in Isaiah 53. And the father is saying, well, then you're going to see your offspring. You'll prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This this offering for guilt will be efficacious. It will satisfy the demands of justice for the guilt of his bride. So there we have this agreement, the hint of the agreement between the father and the son. The son steps forward, I will go and I'll save them. The father says, if you do that, I'll give you your offspring. I'll give you the church, a people for your own name. Does that make sense? I see some quizzical looks upon people's faces. Okay. So the covenant of redemption, we use that phrase to describe the covenant in eternity. Okay, the agreement between the father, the son, and the spirit. So we come to time... And the same agreement, the same commitment is visible in time in what we call the covenant of grace. It's the same agreement. One is in eternity between the persons of the Trinity. The other is publicly announced in Genesis 3.15 and unfolded through history. The covenant of grace is the manifestation in time of the eternal covenant of redemption. Okay? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, speaking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. So there we have the first announcement of the gospel. And that was sufficient for Adam and Eve to have full remission of sins and eternal life. Because they trusted in the promise of God. And we know that they did because God slaughtered the animals and clothed them with those skins, the sacrifice. And they were a symbol of the righteousness of Christ with which we are clothed. So there we have the gospel, the first publication of this good news. God planned our salvation before the foundation of the world in those far reaches of eternity, if you can explain it that way. I don't know how else to describe it. The far reaches of, well, what is eternity? <clears throat> Very difficult to understand. And the Father was sovereign in decreeing to send the Son into the world to save elect sinners. Sovereign. Anybody who denies the predestination of the Father denies his sovereignty. The Son was sovereign in voluntarily pledging himself as a sacrifice for all the sins of the elect. For those who deny that the Son came to die for the elect, deny the sovereignty of the Son. 
The Spirit was sovereign in agreeing to apply salvation by His power to the souls of all the elect. Those who deny that the Spirit is the one who applies salvation deny the sovereignty of the Spirit. So I think you get where I'm going with this. If you believe that salvation is because of what you've chosen, you might be sincere. You might love Christ. I'm not denying that. But in so doing, you're denying the sovereignty of the Father and the sovereignty of the Son and the sovereignty of the Spirit, which is a deep error. Very difficult to maintain a Christian profession with that kind of error. You can do it, but very difficult. Salvation is a Trinitarian work. All the glory goes to him. And that each person, by common consent, has a job to perform. The Father decrees, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. By common consent, each one has a specific responsibility. But in all of those, it's a Trinitarian work. I hope that's clear. Let me stop and see if there are questions. Any error is a sin. Is it a damning sin? Well, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, but God is merciful and gracious. I have many sins. So our Arminian brethren, and I call them brethren because they love Christ, they believe in his cross, they understand that it has to be applied. So yeah, I, I think they're Christians. We can call them brethren. But again, as we've said, and as Gerstner always told us, they ought not to be in the pulpit, and they should never teach, because they deny the sovereignty of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father doesn't decree my salvation. The Son didn't accomplish it for me. He made it possible. And the Spirit may work with me, but I'm the one who chooses. So, you can see. And there's not a lot of comfort in that, really, to be honest with you. Okay, John? I, for me, I did experience comfort in it because I, I, I wasn't even considering this loss of salvation. I had full assurance. I had full assurance of faith. Um, but I think what was happening, one of, one of the things that was convincing me is that when you, salvation is offered freely. You see many, many instances. And that's what the Arminian was. I look, it's all three hours of salvation. And then there's other times that it reflects, when scripture reflects upon people being saved. When you look at the reflections about people being saved, it's always all that were pointed to salvation believed. And you see certain formations like that. You never see the formation of, and, and this person chose God because of their own choice, or there's no reflections of them choosing for themselves. And that is one of the things that also helps me, that convinces me more and more that this is an accurate view. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> Reflecting on actually what happened in that salvation, that conversion. You're right. Okay. So it's, the gospel is about God. It's first and foremost about God. He's not an affable, slightly dazed, needy, loving grandfather figure, which is how many people view him. He is not a being with wishes, but no demands who can safely be ignored which is how many view him. He is not a being who is indifferent to the fact that we make mistakes. Oh, he'll, he'll get over it. That's not true. Every sin, even the least, deserves his wrath and curse. 
The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he shows to Moses, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? And again, as we looked before, I mean, Moses must have been scratching his head and thinking, you forgive, but you will not by no means clear the guilty. How can these two things go together? Well, of course, it's Christ. He doesn't clear the guilty. He punishes the guilty in Christ. There's the punishment. And then he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin because of Christ. He is the supreme being. He is the triune God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in and of himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No argument. No preparation. God. Isn't that remarkable? The very first sentence of the Bible just assumes him. He's just there. He created everything. By his will we exist, and for his glory we are in his will. He is the creator of all things great and small, and the judge to whom we will all give an account. And Paul assumed these truths when preaching to Jews, And he started with these truths when preaching to Gentiles. And it makes sense. The Jews were familiar with these things. The Gentiles were not. And you'll see that difference in evangelism when Paul is dealing with his audience. And this is one of the things that we do. When we're communicating the gospel to others, we understand to whom we're speaking. If you're speaking to a child, you speak a lot differently than you do with an adult. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God. Agrippa understood what he was talking about. He knew Judaism. He was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, and so Paul could assume that knowledge. What therefore you, Athenians, worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Gentiles don't know the Old Testament scriptures. He cannot assume that knowledge. So we had to start from square one. Gospel is about God. Questions, comments before we move on? Okay. It's about God, ultimately. It's his glory, his purpose. It's about sin. Don't be shy about sin. It tells us that we become guilty, filthy, and helpless in sin. Very important to understand. You cannot know your need for a Savior if you don't understand the desperate need you have of Him. Because of sin. Nothing we do... Did this go off? Can you hear me? It's still on? Nothing we do or try to do can put us right or bring us back to innocence. Nothing. And this is one of the things that the conviction of the Holy Spirit brings. You can't do any, you are utterly helpless. Now, you might think that, you know, that you made that choice. And God in his mercy allows you to go on thinking that for a while. But ultimately, I think eventually, he brings you to understand, no, no, that was a gift. He just gave you the gift. You were appointed to eternal life and he gave you repentance. And he gave you the gift of faith. And again, when we begin to realize how undeserving we are, that he would give us this gift, 
It just produces this gratitude, doesn't it? We realize this about ourselves, and thus we see our need for a Savior. Sadly, many treat sin with indifference. But again, it is, as the Bible teaches, rebellion against the Most High. And this applies to the worst and most grievous sins, as well as the so-called lesser sins. Sin is any want of conformity unto. You're not conforming to what you're supposed to do. You're not fulfilling your duty. That's sin. Or transgression of the law of God. You're doing what you're not supposed to do. You're violating the prohibitions. So either you're not doing what you're supposed to do, a sin of omission, or you're doing what you're not supposed to do, a sin of commission. You see? That's sin. And every one of us commits sin every single day. And so the Holy Spirit has to convict the sinner if the sinner is ever to see his need. By common consent, this is the primary job or one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit. He convicts. It's not merely a troubled conscience about our weakness or our failures, our misery or our disappointments. Yeah, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. How many times have we heard that? No, we're sinners and we rebel against the Most High. We violate His Word and it's cosmic treason. It has to do with this growing awareness of a wrong relationship with God. It's not just my misery. It's His majesty. I am not honoring Him. I'm not doing that for which He created me. And it's a sense of guilt for personal sinfulness. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm a sinner. And you can see the, trans, the, the progression of Paul as he goes through his life as an apostle, the greatest Christian, I think, that has ever lived. And at the end of his life, I'm the chief of sinners. He, this growing awareness of just the depth, the extent of sin. It's a sense of guilt for particular sins. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. That's a sin. That thought was a sin. That word was sinful. Before the thrice holy one, sinners have no explanation, no plea, no excuse, no case. The wages of sin is death, clear, pure, and plain and simple. God's judgment against sin will be terrifying as impenitent, unbelieving sinners are sentenced to hell. He'll gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. So the gospel is about sin. It's about God, and it's about sin. Don't be shy when you're communicating the truth of the good news to talk about sin. Because if there's no understanding of sin, well, what's the use of good news? I don't need it. Any questions about this particular topic? We're all experts. Okay. Obviously, the gospel is about Christ. It is only by the cross of Christ that we can be set right with God. We are not victims suffering misery, which is how the world views. We're criminals deserving punishment. Big difference, you know, of our sad state in this fallen world. Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Didn't the rabbi write that book? And, and the question the Bible asks is, why do good things happen to bad people? 
why on earth would God give anything to this group of rebels? We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, all of mankind. No qualification. Jesus Christ is the promised seed of the woman, the incarnate son. So you go back to Genesis 3.15, that first public announcement of the gospel, and he's the one of whom it speaks. He's the seed of the woman. He's the one who will come in our place as our substitute, as our head and husband, and conquer the devil. Free us from our sins. Secure for us eternal life. He's fully God. He's fully man. I don't understand it, but I believe it. He's the messianic king, the savior of the world, and the lamb of God who was slain. The gospel is about Christ. He alone was able to defeat death, save us from sin, rightly represent us before God the Father. He does that even now, interceding for us. He came to fulfill that law which neither you nor I could fulfill. He satisfied that justice, those demands, which neither you or I could ever satisfy. He propitiated God's wrath. He appeased the anger of the deity, and he reopens the way to heaven. That's Christ. And if he's your savior, that's done for you. And this doctrine of substitution, the substitute taking your punishment, was illustrated annually by the sacrificial lamb at the Passover feast. Even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, for example, everything leading up to that statement is preparatory. And at 1045, it takes a turn. At that moment, everything then focuses on Calvary. From that point on, he is setting his face like flint to go to the cross, and he is going to satisfy the demands of God's justice and give his life as a ransom to redeem you. That's the very heart of the gospel. All of the gospel is about all this, but here's the heart. Here's the core. Here's the good news that the Lamb of God was slain, and as it says, before the foundation of the world. And somebody says, but wait a minute, how... How can he be slain before the foundation of the world? It happened in the fullness of time. Well, you're right. But God formed this covenant before the foundation of the world. And so certain is the promise of God that it's as if it's done. What more do you need but the word of God, right? If he says something, it's as good as done. So the Bible is very comfortable saying he's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world because that's when God ordained it. We don't present the person of Christ apart from his work, his cross. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Why did he come? We have to know about his incarnation, his atonement, his resurrection, his ascension, his current session at the right hand of the Father. This is all part and parcel of our witness. And we can't present the work of Christ apart from his person because saving faith is not in doctrines. <clears throat> as much as we're inclined to get our doctrines straight, you're not saved by trusting a doctrine. You're saved by trusting a person, Christ. So the weakest believer, the three-year-old who just loves Jesus and doesn't understand any of this other than 
the rudimentary fact that Jesus is my Savior, he or she can be saved because he or she trusts in the person of Christ. We're saved by faith in Jesus on whom sinners rely for the forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.